Uh, that video clip comes from the 1974 Mel Brooks comedy... Young Frankenstein. Uh, the movie is about Frederick Frankenstein, uh, grandson of Victor Frankenstein. Frederick inherits his grandpa's castle, grandpa's equipment, and despite his better judgment, decides to continue his grandfather's experiments at raising the dead to life again. As you can imagine, things do not go as planned. Uh, the story of Frankenstein in general is a morality tale of what happens when humans try to play God. It's a warning that there are really certain things that only God can and maybe should do, like raising the dead to life again. But people still try. In fact, scientists are actually busy at working, trying to create and extend life. Uh, the Coalition for Radical Life Extension, for example, this is actually a thing. They are a group of business people and scientists actively working on technologies to defeat death. Uh, these technologies include cryogenic freezing, uh, uploading human consciousness into computers, and anti-aging products and procedures. Uh, the group actually predicts that while radical life extension is still a ways off, immortality will likely be possible by the year 2050. So they tell us, in all seriousness, that if we can just hold on for about 30 more years, we might be able to live forever. And another group of scientists is actually working on medical techniques that might not just sustain life, but actually bring people back from the dead. You see, apparently, uh, when a person dies, they do not all die at once. Their cells die slowly, sometimes over several weeks. So new medical techniques have actually improved the save rate of people who were declared clinically dead. More and more people clinically dead are being brought back to life by new medicines because they're uh, not quite dead yet. <laughs> now, it's not raising Frankenstein's monster, but, you know, it's something. So who knows what the future might bring? Medical technology has made many advances over the years. But I think it's safe to say that there will always be things we can't and maybe shouldn't do. Things like raising people from the dead. There will always be things that only God can do. Which brings us to Easter. On Easter, Christians celebrate the impossible. We celebrate the miracle of Jesus' resurrection. I mean, Jesus had been tried for sedition a few days before, had been executed on a cross by the Roman government. Jesus explained that had to happen, that had to happen so that we could be forgiven of our sins. That's what we celebrate on Good Friday. But Jesus also assured his followers that following his death, he would not stay dead. He knew that his loving father and heaven wasn't going to let his son stay dead. God had access to technology to raise the life again, raise the dead again that we don't have. So in love and in power, God raised Jesus from the dead on Easter morning, showing us what he could do. And that's what we celebrate in Easter, God's power over death. This had long been the hope of Jesus' people, the Jews, for generations. They had looked forward to the promise of life after death. I mean, death has always been our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy is not the enemy we think it is. Our greatest enemy is not Russia. Our greatest enemy is not China. Our greatest enemy is not uh, Putin or, or Biden or Trump. Our greatest enemy is death. Death takes everyone down. Frankenstein, Frankenstein, you, me. Death destroys each of us in brutal and tragic ways. We are besieged. We are surrounded by death. So far during this pandemic... The coronavirus has taken the lives of over 550,000 Americans. 
That's just not just a statistic anymore. By now, we all know someone who's died from COVID. These are lives ruined permanently by death. Death has a way has always been our most bitter foe. This is why people are working so hard to develop technologies, however far-fetched, to avoid it. But in the Jewish scriptures, God alone promises to defeat death. Somehow, sometime, somewhere, God's not going to let death mar the goodness of creation forever. He has a plan to rid his world of death. He has the technology to do so. In fact, one of the places in the Old Testament which God promises to defeat death comes from the book that we're studying here at Rooftop this year. It comes from the book of Isaiah. If you don't know Isaiah, he was a prophet. Jewish prophet who lived in the nation of Judah about 800 years before Jesus. His people were burdened by suffering and sin and death. Through the prophet, though, God promises his people that he had something better in store for them. Isaiah's words gave his people hope that despite everything they suffered, their lives would not end in the grave. And his words can give hope to us this morning, too. Because despite the promise of modern science, I think we all still expect to die. I do not believe that radical life extension will amount to much. We're all going to die. And to deal with that catastrophe, and it is a catastrophe, we need something more than science. We need something more than science fiction. We need something more than radical life extension. We need something that only God can do. And this is what Isaiah prophesies in his book. And this is the passage that I want to read and talk about with you this morning. So let me go ahead and share with you the prophet's words to the people of Judah and to us. From Isaiah chapter 26, verse 7 through 19. The path of the righteous is level. You, the upright one, make the way of the righteous smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. But when grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and do not regard the majesty of the Lord. Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. Lord, you establish peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. They are now dead. They live no more. Their spirits do not rise. You punished them and brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. You have enlarged the nation, Lord. You have enlarged the nation. You have gained glory for yourself. You have extended all the borders of the land. Lord, they came to you in their distress. When you disciplined them, they could barely whisper a prayer. As a pregnant woman about to give birth writhes and cries out in her pain, so were we in your presence, Lord. We were with child. We writhed in labor, but we gave birth to wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth, and the people of the world have not come to life. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. 
the earth will give birth to her dead. I don't know if you can appreciate a good Hebrew poem, but this one rocks. If you're uh, following along with this and you're like, I don't know what he's talking about. That's okay. The Bible can be very confusing. But this Hebrew poem here rocks. The, poem, the point of the poem is actually very, very simple. The point of the poem is this. It can be summarized in two words. The point of the poem is only God. Only God. When it comes to life, when it comes to faith, there are some things that only God can do. This is what Isaiah is describing as he writes in verse 12. He says, Lord, you established peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Whatever success Judah has had as a nation is the result of God's blessing alone. If you've ever read the Old Testament and you know what kind of happens uh, in the history of Israel, you know that anything good that ever happened to the nation of Israel was God's doing. In fact, Israel spends most of their time undoing the good things that God has done. It's kind of like me with my kids. If my kids' rooms are ever clean, it's because I helped them clean them. If the kitchen is ever, like, really clean after dinner, it's because I showed them how to do it. If they ever do good on a test, or do well on a test, excuse me, it's because their mom and I made them study. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm proud of when my kids do something right and something on their own, but it's never, ever something they did on their own. They always had massive amounts of help. Anything good that has ever happened to Israel is only the work of God. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever looked at all the good things in your life and realized all that good stuff in your life you had nothing to do with? I feel that way all the time. I look at our blessings here at Rooftop, and I know that we have nothing to do with whatever success we've enjoyed. Uh, When we bought this building, for example, uh, several years ago, I felt this way. We were stuck in this little starter church property up the street. We had been stuck in it for a long time. We couldn't get out of it. We had been looking for another building to move into for a very, very long time. We were so frustrated. There was nowhere to go. Finally, out of desperation, I just called up the people meeting in this church. And I said, hey, hey, (laughs) Pastor Matt up the street here, you wouldn't by chance be interested in selling us your building. They said, well, actually, we're getting ready to list it. And if you buy it from us, we'll give you a great deal because that way we don't have to list it. I'm like, okay. I didn't do that. God did that. Or I remember when we hired Pastor Skyler last year. You guys know Pastor Skyler? I know you love Pastor Skyler. Skyler's doing a great job with our young adults and our youth group. Uh, we're blessed to have Pastor Skyler. Pastor Skyler is giving me cool pastor lessons. We have... You know, tutorial sessions in the office, how to be a cool pastor. No, Matt, not like this, like this. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. God dropped Skyler into our laps. He really did. I mean, we had been looking for a youth intern for a very, very long time. It was very frustrating. We hadn't found anybody. One day, I'm just sitting in the office, and somebody calls up the office. Skyler calls up the office. I pick up the phone. He's like, hey, hey. <laughs> You guys wouldn't be interested in maybe hiring a youth intern, would you? I'm like, yes. Now he works for us as one of our pastors. I didn't do that. God did that. This is Isaiah's theme. The good things that happen to us are God's doing, only God's doing. We are silly to pretend otherwise. He actually says this a little bit later in the passage too. In verse 17, he writes, As a pregnant woman about to give birth, 
writhes and cries out in her pain, so were we in your presence, Lord. We were with child. We writhed in labor, but we gave birth to wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth, and the people of the world have not come to life. This is the same idea. Anything God's people tried to do on their own, they couldn't do. And God had given them much to do. I mean, when God formed this nation together, he gave them instructions to be a blessing to the earth, to bring salvation to the world. That's why he created the family of Israel, to bring salvation to the planet. But they couldn't do it. We have not brought salvation to the earth, Isaiah says. If Israel was a pregnant woman, he says, they gave birth to wind. Picture that. Imagine going through the agony of childbirth and giving birth to nothing. Moms, you can picture this. You moms know what childbirth is like. There is pain. There is straining. There is tearing. There is bleeding. Imagine going through labor and giving birth to nothing but wind. It's just like one big, long, pregnant fart. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Welcome to Rooftop. (laughs) This is what it's like when you try to live your life without God. God gives us all hopes and dreams to make a difference in the world and bring salvation to the earth, but without him, we just give birth to wind. By the way, I did not come up with that image. That's in the Bible. (laughs) I think about this in the context of rooftop, though. Uh, You might not know this, but today is actually our 20th anniversary as a church. We were started... We were started on Easter Sunday 20 years ago. I remember the morning, April 15, 2001. It was a lifetime ago. We met up in the Richmond Heights Community Center. Uh, Jason had hair. I had a haircut. I think I'm wearing the exact same shirt as I did 20 years ago. We had about 150 people there that morning. Uh, We've actually been thinking about throwing a birthday party or an anniversary party or something. With COVID, this year might not be the best year to do it, so I'm actually thinking we're going to throw a 21st year birthday party next year. 21st, open bar, two drink limit, you know. (laughs) It's our 21st, but we want to behave responsibly, right? But anyway, when I think back over 20 years, this has been one long, laborious process. There have been labor pains. There has been bleeding. There has been screaming. There has been tearing. There have been all the things that there are in the delivery room. But thankfully, we didn't give birth to wind. We gave birth to new life. I mean, we have baptized so many people here at Rooftop over the years, I stopped counting. We have joined people in marriage and rescued relationships. We have welcomed hundreds of children into the world. We have built dozens of homes in Mexico for homeless families. Uh, We have served innumerable meals to the hungry. We planted a church. We have sponsored missionaries around the globe. We have led people to deeper levels of intimacy with Jesus. But we have done none of that without God. If we have given birth to anything, it's only because of God. He showed us what to do. He showed us how to do it. He smacked us around when we weren't doing it correctly. He gave us the tools to be able to do it at all. Like Isaiah writes in verse 15, you have enlarged the nation, Lord. You have enlarged the nation. We didn't enlarge this nation. We didn't build this church. This is God's house. There are some things in life that only God can do. Only God can save souls. Only God can build healthy churches. Only God can rescue you from your sin and from your guilt. And only God can raise the dead to life again. Which is where this poem in Isaiah ends. In verse 19, the prophet writes, 
But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell on the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. I love that last line. The earth will give birth to her dead. We can't bring salvation to the earth. We can't give people hope and healing. Only God can. Only God can raise the dead. I mean, think of what's involved in raising the dead to life again. Think of what Dr. Frankenstein had to deal with. To raise the dead, you've got to rebuild trillions of cells. You gotta reassemble body parts. You gotta reconstitute ashes from the dust. You have to relocate souls and reconstruct minds. And you gotta do that in a way that's permanent so that you don't have to do it again. Science will never be able to do that. Only God can. Only God can do that. And here's the thing only God will. That's what Isaiah is saying. Not just that only God can raise the dead. He's saying that only God will raise the dead. The earth will give birth to her dead, he writes. That will happen. This is not some vain hope. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is not like a myth or a story that Christians tell ourselves so that we feel a little bit better about our eternal chances. This actually happened. Jesus actually rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the seal of God's promise that what God did to Jesus, he will do for us. That's Isaiah's word to his people and God's word to us. There are some things only God can do and there are some things that only God will do. But what do we do with that information? What do we do? It's exciting. Yes, Easter is exciting. Resurrection, new life. But what do we do? Well, I can think of a couple things to do that I want to leave you with this morning. We should wise up, and we should wake up. Wise up, and wake up. First, we should wise up. By wise up, I mean we should stop trying to live our lives without God. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is our reminder that we need him to do anything important in our lives. We can't save ourselves. We can't save others without God. All that we have accomplished, God has done for us, Isaiah writes. We need to remember that. But oh, how we forget how we try to live our lives without God. Trying to live your life without God is like pushing up a big boulder up a mountain. Not going to happen. But this is exactly what some of us are attempting in life. Some of you are in marriages that are failing. You're trying to save them. And some of you are battling drug, alcohol, porn, food addictions. Some of you are raising difficult or special needs children. Some of you are in new jobs that are kicking your butt. Some of you are facing impossible medical situations. Some of you are fighting for political and social change. And you're trying to handle these challenges on your own. You're not praying for strength. You're not getting help from the church. I mean, honestly, some of you don't even come to church that often. You're not getting wisdom from counselors. How's that going for you? It won't work. Despite all your labor, despite all your hard work, you'll give birth to nothing but wind. I met with a friend this past week, and we were talking about this. Uh, He's actually in a very difficult grad school data science program. This is a friend of mine here at Rooftop, and this grad program is killing him. He does homework like all day, all week. He gets up early, and he does homework in this program from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., six days a week. He got a 27% on his first test, thought of dropping out. 
He's a brilliant guy, too. Very prayerful guy. But he tells me he's never had to work as hard. He's never had to pray as hard as much as this grad program is making him pray. And here's the thing, though. He's making it. He's doing it. Because God's given him strength. God's helping him to do what he knows. He knows he can't do on his own. He would have quit a long time ago. I met with another friend recently who was raising five foster kids. These five foster kids just were literally dropped in her lap. Who can do that? Who can raise five foster kids without going crazy? She can. She's doing it. She's killing it. And she's having a blast because God's given her strength. God's keeping her sane. God's given her what she needs to build a healthy family here. These are people who wouldn't dare face life's challenges without God. They're smart, strong people, too. What about the rest of us? Do we think we're smarter than them? I know them. We're not. Do we think we're stronger than them? We're not. Do we think we don't need God? I mean, if we don't need God now, we're going to need him eventually. Unless the radical life extension people make some serious progress, we're all going to need God eventually. We need to wise up. Stop pretending on our own that we can do anything but just give birth to wind. Also, we need to wake up. Wise up and wake up. As the prophet writes in verse 19, let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. This is the call the prophet issues to the dead. He tells them to wake up from their dusty slumber. Now that call, that call to wake up will go out. At the appointed time, all of us who are not alive at Christ's arrival will be dead. And we will be called to wake up. The great alarm clock in the sky will at some point go off. And we will rouse. Some of us might actually have a hard time getting up out of bed that day. We might roll around and groan and ask God, five more minutes, five more minutes, God. That's what my daughter does. Five more minutes, Dad, five more minutes. Don't turn on the light, don't turn on the light, don't turn on the light. Five more minutes, Alexa. If I don't give her five more minutes, she asks Alexa for five more minutes. (laughs) Alexa is her alarm clock. But honestly, I doubt any of us will have a hard time getting up. When God wakes us up, most of us will hop up and shout. We will open our eyes. We will see the light of Christ streaming through the windows. We'll hear the morning birds chirping outside. We will look around the bedroom. We'll see our loved ones and all of God's saints dressed in their heavenly pajamas. And then we will all run downstairs en masse together to sit down for brunch with Christ. Eventually, that call will go out, and we will wake up. Like Jesus, we will wake up. Like Lazarus, we will wake up. But what's important to know is that we need not wait for that day to come. We can wake up now. We can wake up today. As Paul says in the New Testament, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. That's not a call to those who are dead in the dust. That's a call to those of us who are still alive. You see, we can be alive, but dead. We can be dead in our sins, marked for destruction. If you've not been forgiven of your sins, you're already dead. You're marked for destruction. Your life might be going just fine, but if you're not following Jesus, you're dead. You're like Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense. You just think you're alive. You're dead. 
Because of your guilt, because of your sin, you're actually dead. But you can wake up. You can wake up now. You can be forgiven of your sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. You can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can leave behind your life of sorrow and guilt and lust and greed and racism. You can be baptized. You can take hold of the promise of new life. You don't have to be dead to be dead. A lot of you are already dead even though you're alive. But you don't have to be dead to come alive. You can come alive today in Jesus Christ. You just have to wake up. That's something scientists will never be able to do. Dr. Frankenstein might be able to turn dead people into monsters, but he can't turn monsters like us into eternal saints. He can't raise us to life forever. Only God can do that. Only God did that. Only God will. So wise up, people. Stop trying to live life on your own. It won't work. Your problems are too big. And wake up. Repent of your sins, be baptized, be forgiven. By the power of the resurrection, Jesus shows us what God can do, but we need not wait until the return of Christ for him to do it. We can wake up to new life now. We can be raised to new life today. Can I please get an amen? Amen. Happy Easter. Happy anniversary. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you again for raising me to new life. I still moan and complain about my life. And we are still kind of stuck here in a world that doesn't work right. But those of us who follow your son are alive, fully alive in Jesus Christ. We've been raised from the dead. We have taken hold of the promise of new life. For us, Death is nothing. Sure, we might die. The Bible says death is nothing. That's how real is the promise of new life in Jesus Christ because of what Jesus accomplished, because of what you accomplished in raising your son from the dead. Death is nothing. And the same power, the Holy Spirit, that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us right now to live lives of power and purpose power to overcome sin and temptation, power to make change, power to build churches. We are your resurrection people here today, gathered today to celebrate the power of the resurrection available to us. Thank you for this opportunity to worship your risen son. Thank you for Jesus who died for our sins and then rose again from the dead. I pray that we can live the power of the resurrection every moment of every day. We pray these things in his name, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.